You are listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's March 26th. Last week, eight people were killed in a series of shootings in the Atlanta area. Six of the victims were Asian American women. These attacks didn't come out of nowhere. Violence and harassment directed at Asian Americans have risen sharply in the last year, and anti-Asian American racism is deeply rooted in U.S. history. As the horrifying events in Atlanta thrust this problem into sharp relief, Rand researchers Douglas Young, Peter Wynn, and Regina Shi explain that support for the Asian American community is too often tied to serving some other purpose. For instance, standing up against attacks on the Asian American community is sometimes associated with the fight against the pandemic, because Asian Americans make up a disproportionate part of the health workforce. But whether the well-being of people of color happens to align with other interests shouldn't determine whether their well-being matters. And what's needed now are actions that will specifically benefit Asian Americans. Such unconditional support could help ensure that the Asian American community is truly seen as a diverse community, rather than a monolith. Support would also highlight that Asian Americans are a long-standing part of the American story. Here's how our researchers put it. Quote, Truly meaningful support would affirm our inherent value and humanity, freeing us from playing a part in someone else's movie. Sadly, just days after the deadly events in Atlanta, another high-profile mass shooting, this time at a grocery store in Boulder, Colorado, left 10 people dead. In the wake of these back-to-back tragedies, the national debate about gun policy has again intensified, and President Biden has called for stricter gun laws. We've discussed RAND's Gun Policy in America initiative on previous episodes of this show, Unfortunately, it continues to be relevant, as gun violence remains a very serious problem in the U.S. The project, one of the largest studies ever conducted on this subject, examines what scientific evidence tells us about the effects of different gun laws. The goal is to improve public discussions and establish a shared set of facts that will support the development of fair and effective gun policies. You can find the latest research and data from this initiative at rand.org slash gun policy. For the majority of Americans, a high school diploma no longer provides a viable pathway to the middle class. To put it simply, times have changed. With few exceptions, well-paying jobs increasingly require higher-level analytical or social skills, or both, while jobs that demand largely physical or manual skills are fading in importance. But even as education levels have been rising for the past 50 years, post-secondary education has seen troubling trends. Public support for higher education is declining, college costs continue to increase, and low college completion rates threaten young adults' ability to obtain a two- or four-year degree. In a new paper, RAND experts describe how these trends have converged to turn educational attainment into, quote, an arms race for those seeking upward mobility. They also note significant disparities that deserve attention, both by race, ethnicity, and the type of educational institution. 
For example, black students are more likely to have to take on student loans and then default on those loans than white, Hispanic, or Asian students. Default rates are also alarmingly high for people who attend for-profit colleges. They're more than four times as likely to default as those who attend public two-year schools. Finally, the authors of the paper describe how future research can help identify ways to remove the barriers to higher education that young adults are facing. For example, public financial support for institutional resources and financial aid needs to be bolstered to increase student success rates and lower the costs of college. Research could be essential to this effort, providing information on how best to target public dollars in ways that support students' needs. From floods and wildfires to hurricanes and winter storms to rising sea levels in coastal cities, the effects of climate change are leading to more and more migrations. For example, in Oregon, as of late December, more than 1,000 people were still displaced due to the devastating wildfires of August and September 2020. These displaced families face many challenges— Of course, they have to find new homes and new jobs, but being displaced by climate change may also create substantial trauma that negatively affects their mental health. That's according to Rand's Aaron Clark Ginsburg, who, along with colleagues, wrote an op-ed for The Hill last week. Mental health challenges can arise as soon as disaster strikes. For instance, following hurricanes Katrina, Maria, and Michael, People who were displaced by those storms exhibited higher rates of post-traumatic stress compared with people who did not relocate. The recovery process itself can also be traumatic. Accessing resources that government agencies might provide can be very difficult and stressful. What's more, these stressors can accumulate and intersect with other stressors, such as racial or ethnic discrimination or poverty. They can also result in physical health problems, such as high blood pressure, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. Mitigating these traumas requires tailored solutions, but the federal government does not currently have a set of policies designed to support the mental health needs of America's climate change migrants. As a first step, those carrying out a recent executive order by the Biden administration related to this challenge could focus on understanding exactly what climate migrants' mental health needs are. New data released yesterday showed jobless claims falling to their lowest level since COVID-19 hit. Despite this hopeful news, the last 12 months have highlighted the cracks in America's state-based unemployment system. When the pandemic threw millions of Americans out of work, Congress had to take action beginning with the CARES Act last year and extending into the just-passed American Rescue Plan to shore up state unemployment programs. This federal intervention set a precedent, says Rand's Catherine Edwards, and it could lead to states taking away the wrong lesson from the pandemic. From the state's perspective, why spend money to maintain robust unemployment benefits if Congress will step in when the economy goes south? Going forward, Edwards says there are two options. Congress can either fix state programs or replace them with a federal one. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, 
check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. We're off next week, but we'll be back in your feed on April 9th. We'll see you then.